Hey there, Video Insiders, and welcome to your podcast. He's Tom Martin. And he's Carlos Pacheco. And we're two grizzled YouTube industry veterans. We're here to give you our two cents on the business of YouTube so you can make more dollars. News, strategy, insight, and just a sprinkling of snark. So what's the latest this week, Carlos? Well, it's a new year. So it's a new year, new me, new podcast. (laughs) Hashtag new year, new me. Uh, Great to be here with you on our very, very first episode. But Carlos, who the hell are you? Let our listeners know. Well, my name is Carlos Pacheco, and I've been working on YouTube for something like seven to eight years. I lost count at this point. Uh, Yeah, that's a little bit of me. I do strategy and content uh, for a bunch of different clients nowadays. I do it for YouTubers and I do it for companies. That's what I do for a living. And the other voice you can hear is me. My name is Tom Martin and I am a YouTube growth specialist and consultant, uh, as well as being a general YouTube nerd and lover of all things YouTube. So today we thought it would be really useful for you to get to know us, your new hosts, just that little bit better to see where we've come from, why we've got the perspectives that we have on YouTube and the YouTube industry. And to be frank, why the hell you should even listen to a word that we've got to say. So as a bit of a departure from what we'll usually be doing today, I'm going to give a short interview to Carlos to see a bit more about him and his experience. And then the tables will be turned upon me and Carlos will be interviewing me and asking me those very same questions. Uh-oh. Lost? No, no, no. I was just making a joke. Oh, <laughs> I, thought, I thought my audio had gone. So, Carlos, you know, you said that you've been working on YouTube for about seven years, which I would equate... You know, I always often say that YouTube years are like dog years. Like a year on YouTube is like seven years in the real world. So... You're a YouTube dinosaur, but if you can, can you cast your your memory back to your your first kind of uh, time working on YouTube and what kind of capacity was that in? So, yeah, I mean, seven, again, like I say seven, but it's probably eight at this point. But uh, many years ago, I discovered the world of YouTube by pure accident. Like I was working in advertising agencies for many years. Uh, doing media buying, media strategy, buying ads on YouTube, buying ads on Google, and many other websites. But I left that world and joined a company called Just for Laughs in Montreal, Canada. And is is that that kind of cheesy, non-language, but quite often very funny kind of slapstick prank show that I may have seen when I was younger. Yes, it is. And um, that's not the only thing that that company does. They actually do a lot of stand-up comedy uh, content. But the content that was on YouTube was the slapstick gags uh, content. And the producers had been throwing up content on their YouTube channel without really thinking uh, about a strategy. And they were like, oh, there's a lot of views happening, but we don't know how it's happening or, or why and what to do with them. So I came in with my, you know, just basic knowledge of SEO, search engine optimization and strategy and audience development. And I started like tweaking things around. Uh, I set up their YouTube channel to be a little bit more presentable. Oh, one of the best insights that I got when I started was I replied to comments 
it was the it was mind blowing. Like the first reply that I got was like, "Holy crap, somebody's paying attention to this channel!" And I was like, you know, it just blew my mind that you know, nobody was really paying attention to this channel. So you know, for something like you know, uh, less than two years, actually, uh, 18 months, I worked at just for laughs, but within those 18 months, you know, the strategy that I helped, uh, establish there ended up, you know, turning a channel that had a couple hundred thousand subscribers to a channel that had 3.5 million subscribers and started generating a significant amount of money for the company. Um, and by doing that, I started to sort of show the the opportunities for the company to sort of use these platforms to build their audience, to build their brand across the world. Yeah. If I can back, back you up a little bit. So that growth, what were some of the levers that you pulled to, to instigate that growth? And also, you know, the, the techniques that you were using at the time, were you plucking them out of thin air? Were there, was there some kind of person mentoring you or guiding you you know how how did your youtube education come about honestly it was most of it was self-taught or just looking at what our youtubers were doing back then the, what youtube was not supporting creators was not creating any content to really show how people how can you can optimize your content so you know some basic seo thinking like how to title your videos put a description in the video your tags, putting links, telling people to subscribe, optimizing the content so that, you know, it had end cards or annotations back then. There was no annotations on a whole, a whole uh, channel before, you know, other things like thumbnails, thumbnails were huge. They weren't set up. So all these things that are sort of the basic tactics that a YouTuber does nowadays weren't, you know, weren't being used by many people, but creators that were growing were using it, but no brands or no companies were really using those tactics back then. That's really interesting. But something that really hit me that I've never really thought about before is that there's a whole generation of people that will have zero idea what a traditional annotation was, Carlos, in those good old days <laughs> where you could draw a little square around anywhere on the screen and make it clickable. And I think as we record this, I think we've just got a couple of weeks uh, until those are actually deleted from old videos, which is a very, very sad day in our history of YouTube. Again, rip, we've been here rip. for, uh, uh, we've been here for donkey's years, obviously. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so going back to your, your 18 months, at, um, just for laughs, you'd, you'd take it from uh, a couple of hundred thou up to three point something million, which is huge, huge growth in, in such a, a short space of time. What was next for you? Well, you know, the reason I left Just for Laughs was actually because, you know, I, I, I showed them this platform, I built them this platform, and they were like, yeah, thank you very much. We'll collect the money and you can keep doing this for the next, you know, 10 years and just do the same thing. And I was like, well, I want challenges. I wanted to, I saw that, you know, uh, YouTube networks were starting to pop up all over the place. And, you know, I, I, I learned all about that industry and I wanted to work in that industry. And, uh, a company came calling, uh, at the time it was called Temple Street, but then it changed its name to Bolt Rocker Media. And they wanted to create a Canadian, uh, network. Um, and they, you know, I, they convinced me and I joined them. I went, I moved from my hometown of Montreal, Canada to Toronto 
and uh, started building a bunch of YouTube channels, started working with creators, started looking into that industry. Um, my experience there was interesting because Boat Rocker is a production company, much like Just for Laughs. They create a lot of content, but they're not an ad network. They don't know how to, you know, sell advertising or, or sell brand, you know, sell to brands. And I had that experience of like working with brands, advertisers. So, uh, after about, you know, six months to a year of like, you know, pounding the pavement, trying to get creators to work with us, I, we, we quickly realized that because we're a production company, it didn't really work for us to turn ourselves into a network. So we focused inwards and I kind of sort of rinsed and repeated what I was doing at the gags where I looked at what the, what libraries were available to us. Me, you know, Boat Rocker made a lot of different shows and some of them I could put online, some of them I couldn't. And I started putting that all that together and creating a bunch of uh, YouTube channels for them. And then through the years, I stayed there for just about five years, just shy of five years, actually, and built, you know, dozens, if not, you know, close to 100 YouTube channels for them and uh, for some creators as well. And yeah, that was that was my you know, sort of my life for the last, uh, seven to eight years. And what, what kind of channels are we talking about here? Are we talking about clips from old TV shows, full episodes, uh, and, and what kind of work with creators were you, are we talking about here? Cause you, you know, you've mentioned the word network and does that mean a network in the, in the kind of multi-channel network sense where you kind of, you know, creating a group of channels to then, you know, take a split of the AdSense in the traditional model, or was this more of a kind of creative, collaborative kind of relationship? Well, the goal was to do both, but we initially started to do it in a very traditional, very basic level where we'd collect creators into our content manager, our content, you know, which is a, a dashboard that YouTube gives for networks. And we start taking a cut of AdSense and try to support them and give them, you know, we'd give them our insights on how to best build their YouTube channels. But, you know, again, for us, that was a very limited uh, experiment for us because on top of you know, the creators being, uh, you know, all different, um, which is actually a problem when you think of a network. The market, the Canadian market is a very tiny market when you look at the, the, the YouTube space. Uh, and so, you know, it was not feasible for us to sort of like become a YouTube network in Toronto um, without, you know, uh, on top of being a production company and trying to create original content, which costs a lot of money. We didn't have an ad sales team that would pay, pay, you know, that would pound the pavement and get, you know, the sponsors to come in. So, you know, we started the basic stuff, but quickly saw that, yeah, this is not our business. We, we focused on the, on, on, uh, on, on our content because we were able to sort of really do what we wanted with it. And, you know, to answer your question about the types of content, it went from original, uh, clips. Uh, there's this, uh, TV, uh, show that uh, Bolt Rocker does called The Next Step, which was a huge, you know, international show. And, but they had like hundreds of, uh, original bespoke clips that, you know, they were put on random websites as promotional stuff. And this is like behind the scenes and dance numbers and all that sort of stuff. And there was no one place to put them. So I created a YouTube channel. You know, the, you know, the, the machine started working. Next thing you know, we've got, you know, 10 million views and 
4 million views a month, all that sort of stuff. And then uh, other channels were uh, cooking channels. We had a bunch of cooking shows with many recipes and we chopped them up, chopped those shows up, turned them into YouTube type content. And same thing happened. Uh, you know, we built YouTube channels to 300, 400,000 subscribers uh, within our ecosystem. And we started looking at our library and seeing which channels, which shows we could uh, turn into YouTube channels, which ones didn't work. We saw that scripted content was really tough. It doesn't really grow unless you have uh, a creator involved. So, you know, that, that, those are the varieties of, of channels that I have built. So it seems like you've, you've had quite a varied um, experience. How, how do you look back upon those days? Was that, was that a fun time? Do you, did you enjoy being on the front lines, running YouTube channels, running into the trolls, uh, navigating the algorithms, various changes throughout those years? Um, how do you judge your time there? Was that, was that a, a happy time for you? I think it, it was definitely a happy time because I got to learn something that wasn't really being, you know, ex wasn't being used a lot or wasn't sort of didn't have much, many people sort of understanding this world. And I saw the growth potential, but at the same time, it was frustrating for me because I was working at content companies, content companies know how to make content. They don't know how to market their content. And I would look at these channels with like millions of views. Sometimes, you know, I remember on Just for Laughs, uh, we'd get um, 4 million views in a day. And I'd be like, that's insane. And I would put my, you know, old marketer hat on, but it's like, we have nothing to use these views for. They're just views. Yes, they're making money, but they're not, we're not really building something or, or creating something that's sustainable. And that was also mimicked with uh, the, the other channels I created for Boat Rocker is we would create these amazing channels and they would make a little bit of money, but nothing sustainable for, for a production company. It was sort of incremental money for them. So that was a bit of a, you know, a frustrating part for me because, um, you know, I would see what the creators were doing and they were like, chugging along, creating new content every week and, and, and being innovative. And the, you know, the production companies couldn't really follow up on that. Well, the production companies that worked with, right. There's other ones that are obviously doing a lot of amazing things again, because of my experience with marketing, I was looking at, at these views and these impressions and these followers as a missed opportunity to build a business, to create something sustainable beyond just the views on YouTube. And I would say that would be the part that, you know, in the end, you know, made me decide to, you know, like, I don't want to stay in this seat for forever. And I wanted to see what else I could, I could work on. And so if they had handed you the keys to the entire division with a bit of budget, what, you know, what are you referring to when you, you're, you're telling them to build something sustainable? What, what would, what could that look like for, a, for, a, for a, a similar business that, or production company that could be listening to this podcast, what would the advice be? Well, the advice would be to build an audience, use your content to build an audience and, and, uh, you know, use that audience, build an audience, but have a plan to make money beyond just the AdSense money, uh, build a business beyond it. Um, you know, and invest in building a business beyond it. Because for me, one of the, 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 
issues that I ran into many times with production companies that have libraries of content is that they just want to work with their old library and they don't want to invest in new content. And it takes a lot of time to build an audience with old content. It can take upwards of two to three years before a channel really kicks in. And, you know, let's just say you're uploading a video a week or two videos a week of repurposed content. You're talking, when I say repurposed content, think about a cooking show that has three recipes and I chopped up those three recipes and turned them into three individual videos. And I've grown YouTube channels like that and it works. It definitely works. But after two to three years, you have hundreds, millions of views. Well, what do you do beyond that? Well, now I've grown a YouTube channel to quarter of a million subscribers. Well, how can we, uh, you know, take advantage of these subscribers? Well, start making original content start, you know, in that original content, use it as an opportunity to market something else. And, you know, again, the cooking ones, it's easy. It's you, you create a, a recipe book or you create content, uh, not content, but uh, any other sort of like, you know, merch that you, that you can sell then start building some sort of like more of a relationship with your audience, as opposed to just pushing content out. And that's what a lot of like production companies or content companies or broadcasters think about. They're just about pushing content out and they don't think about building an ecosystem around, around that content or that brand. And just out of curiosity, because you obviously had a lot of success and a lot of, a lot of growth. You mentioned previously that you'd come from an advertising background. How much of that growth was through paid media, um, and ad spend or was that almost you know, is it mostly organic growth that you, you were seeing on those channels? Oh, those channels were 100% organic. No ad budget to work with. The only, the only thing where I had money to work with was uh, an amazing opportunity that I had um, with the gags is uh, out of the blue, a YouTuber texted me and says, hey, I love the gags. I would love to collaborate. And, you know, again, back in those days, the gags weren't really creating original web content. So it took some convincing to, you know, have the creator come to us and we'd make an original piece of content for the web. And that creator, like first off, gags did not pay for the creator to come. The creator spent his money to come visit with us. I literally hosted him in our spare bedroom. He hung out with me for a week. And he came to the office, we conceptualized uh, a couple of gags and we filmed them and they turned out to be a huge success and really gave the channel an extra boost. And who was that creator? You might ask his name was, well, this is, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> I spoiled yeah. your, your reveal. Now go and just carry on <laughs> the inside scoop. Who was this mystery couch surfing creator. I think I actually got an idea. I think I may have seen you post about it on Twitter or Facebook before, but the listeners out there are dying to know. So please tell us who was it. It was a little known YouTuber called uh, Roman Atwood. And say what? <laughs> yeah. Roman Atwood and Dennis Rohde, who was his collaborator back then, they both stayed in my place. And that to me, that opened my eyes to the world of YouTubers because I saw how much, how much they, I hate to use this word, but they hustled for a week. They would come to work with me in the morning, work all day. And then we'd get home. We'd go for dinner. We'd come back to the office. Uh, sorry. We'd come back home. And then they would sit down and start editing till like three, four o'clock in the morning and then rinse and repeat. They did that for a full week. And, you know, back then they were vlogging, they were 
doing prank videos. And I appeared in a couple of their vlogs, which was really cool of them to sort of like, you know, made me appear in them. And again, that's to me that opened my eyes to the world of creators. And I always wanted to work with creators. I, I think at the end of the day, one of the, you know, missed opportunities that I wish I could have had is to actually work with a creator or work you know, almost like collaborate with a creator, but not in the sense that I want to be in their videos, more in the sense of like building their business and building the strategy and what's going to turn them into more than just a YouTuber. And, you know, uh, what opportunities are they not paying attention to because they're focused so much on the content. And that's, I would say, is a little bit of my, you know, melancholy regret of, of the last, you know, six to seven years is to not, partner myself with a, a creator that I could have, you know, helped on the marketing side of things on the thinking, like, uh, like, a, like somebody who wants to build a business. And every day I'm frustrated as heck when I see a creator that's, you know, has millions of views, but nothing else doesn't build a business, doesn't create something beyond just a YouTube channel. And doesn't, you know, think of the future because every couple of months we always get something happening with YouTube, change the algorithm, demonetize this and all this sort of stuff that, you know, can really, you know, destroy a YouTuber's livelihood. And if they haven't thought beyond that, that's a huge failure, right? And that's where I think that that's where I wish I would have like, you know, had a little bit more experience with. Yeah, well, this is a, this is definitely a theme that we're going to be revisiting again and again. Um, so please put your melancholy aside, <laughs> Carlos, because without doubt, there's going to be lots of creators that end up listening to this show that do follow that more wise path of diversifying their income through listening to this. So please, please <laughs> do not uh, do not be sad. Also, we will definitely be revisiting the topic of hustle. I know this is something you're very strongly, you have very strong opinions about. I find my opinions on it changing and uh, all the time. So yeah, I think that's another theme that we're going to revisit. And while we're talking about themes, if there are any topics, subjects, or news items that you want us to talk about, you want to hear our opinions on it, do let us know on social. You can get me on Twitter at channel underscore fuel, and you can get Carlos at Carlos Pachet underscore CO. And you may yeah, exactly. need to spell. leave that in Joe, but you're going to need to spell that okay, out. Okay. Carlos, so it's C A R L O S. P-A-C-H-E underscore C-O. I got a feeling he's going to be needing a new Twitter handle pretty soon, people. But for now, you can find him whatever he just said. <laughs> but please let us know what you want to hear more of in the future, and we'll make sure that we cover that as best as we can. So back to your story quickly, Carlos. Um, your time at Boat Rocker is no yep. more. Um, you're speaking about it in the past tense. So today... In early January 2019, what on earth are you doing with your time? Since 2008, I joined my wife and partner in her business, which is called Truly. We are a strategy and insights uh, agency. We help brands build audiences, <laughs> which is, you know, all this, the insights that I've learned over, the la over my career from 
you know, buying advertising from a traditional perspective, but also from being a creator or, or working with creators or working with content producers and using those, those things that I learned, everything that I've learned over the last, you know, seven, actually, you know, adding with my advertising or looking at 20 years of experience and teaching brands how to think like publishers, how to think like a creator so that they build an audience that belongs to them, that follows them, not just an audience that they're pushing a message to. And that's our sort of motto in a, a, a truly well, So, you know, we help brands understand, you know, uh, building a community around their voice and creating thought leadership. Right. And that's, you know, a passion of mine of, you know, under, making people understand that you can, don't need to just keep pushing a message. You can create content that really connects and people will follow you and come back for more. And it doesn't just have to be a creator. Brands can do it. And, 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 you know, they don't need to be, you know, just putting ads on a publication to, to build a brand awareness. And that's. And when, when you say brand, to me, brand is a very, very okay. broad term. When I think of a brand, I think of Pepsi, McDonald's, Michelin, Nike, whoever it may be. But is, is a brand to you one of those kind of, direct to consumer multinationals what kind of customer profile are we talking about for, for well your no actually most of our clients are uh small companies and most small to medium companies they're b2b they're business to business and they're super niche they're trying to reach a very specific audience and they don't need to have millions of views they can have a couple hundred of views on their videos or their uh, you know, blog posts or their Instagram or whatever. And, but, you know, we help them, you know, shape that content so that it reaches the audience that's perfect for them. And in terms of, you know, a brand comes to you, whether it, you know, it's, you know, Dave's oil company out of Montreal and he's targeting, um, industrial manufacturing companies that need their product. What are the kind of services that you're providing to somebody like that? Is it blog post? Is it social? Is it paid advertising? Is it LinkedIn? Is it, you know, where, where do you get started with a client? Well, like that? that's, that's something that we, um, often have to sort of like, uh, hold the client's hands on this is that unfortunately the internet is full of tactics. Everybody's pushing a tactic. Everybody's like put advertising on Facebook, put advertising on Instagram put advertising on LinkedIn. And we're, what we help our clients with is strategy, is look at who you are trying to reach and where are they, that client that you're trying to find your best customer that you're trying to reach, what are they consuming? What kind of content are they reading? And then we help them shape their own content so that it speaks to that customer. And it just uses the same language that, uh, their best customer is used to. And instead of like, you know, creating an ad, we create content that a customer, that somebody that is interested in the industry would want to read. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it can be, you know, it can be a blog post. It can be a YouTube video. It could be an Instagram story. It all depends on who the brand is and, and what the client that they're trying to reach is looking for in terms of content, in terms of educating themselves in the industry. And, you know, you've, you've spoken about a lot of different platforms. I'd say that both of us were traditionally YouTube 
experts, if not generally online video experts, what percentage of those clients that you're now working with it truly are harnessing uh, YouTube video specifically and maybe a bit of Facebook video? I would say about 30% are using uh, YouTube from a very, you know, youtube type of strategy just because you, you know, video is expensive. Brands don't, you know, like, you know, it, it, you can't get somebody in their basement to create videos for brands, right? You have to work with production companies. And at the same time, video is not always the answer for, for our clients. Uh, some clients are very happy and, you know, see great results with a blog post. And other clients see great results with being consistent on social media, right? So it, it, it really depends on the client. One of the things that we harp on is like, we are not going to tell you, you need to be on YouTube just because YouTube's hot. It's like, we're, we're going to tell you, you need to be on YouTube because your audience is, that's where they're looking for information. So yeah, it, it all depends. And at the same time, you know, we have major clients that do YouTube videos, but at the same time, I've always kept a foot on or sort of my toe in the water in terms of like working with creators. And I still advise many creators on building their YouTube channels. So I've, I've, I have a hard time really letting go of that because I just love working with creators who are so appreciative of, you know, just some, some, you know, strategy and insights on, you know, what should, they should be doing because they're focused on creating content. And if there are some creators listening that, you know, they, what you're saying resonates with, with you and if they happen to be local to uh, Toronto or in your, if not, how can they get in, in contact with you, Carlos? Best way to get in touch with us in general is trulyinc.com. Probably the best solution at this point. Perfect. Um, it, it, I just, I just want to say before we wrap up your half of this, this call, Carlos is, it sounds to me like truly a kind of making a stand against what could be seen as quite a poisonous industry, that kind of social media agency where it's all about making a buck now and, you know, pouring money into Facebook ads, paying for engagement with little results. So I just want to congratulate you and your much, much better <laughs> half on, on uh, you know, building something that is delivering some actual value and not giving all of us kind of uh, strategists and consultants a bad name. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's, that's the hope, right? We just don't, we want to make this a valuable platform for creators as well as companies, right? And it's not just about putting a 30 second spot out there, right? So yeah, like we're, I think we're, we're doing good work and I hope that, you know, we're on the cusp of a new way of thinking in terms of online. I've got a sneaky feeling this is not going to be the last time we are discussing video and social <laughs> yeah, agencies exactly. either. Yeah. All right, All right Tom, away, dude. it's my turn to interview you. And I don't think I'm going to be as good as you as an interviewer, but I'm going to give it my best shot. So humble. Tom, tell us about how you came to be. How do you, how did you start working in this space? Well, our, our story is not totally dissimilar. So we might be able to make this a, a little bit shorter. Um, so I was working at the BBC in London. I worked for them in total for 10 years, but the first five of those I worked in the sales department. So I was licensing content, uh, programs like Sherlock and The Office. 
I was licensing those to other digital platforms in uh, EMEA, so Europe, Middle East, and Africa. Uh, so, you know, like the Russian equivalent of YouTube, the Russian Netflix. Um, and then I hated every day of it for five years. I absolutely hated working in sales. But if it wasn't for the commission, I would have left a lot sooner. But I managed to blag totally totally blag a job in the youtube team i'd never uploaded a single video to youtube in my entire life uh, in fact it was not until the day before my interview that i uploaded a test video to youtube i just took out my phone i think it was a nokia at the time that's how long ago it was and uh just shot a video of my hand clenching a fist um and then uploaded that to youtube just in case they tested me what buttons to press to upload a video on YouTube. But anyway, I, I, I did well in the interview, did well in the second interview and managed to blag a job as a, as a, as a channel manager on this kind of very young, uh, what was soon to be a network of channels for the BBC. At the time they were investing quite heavily because, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but, uh, around the end of 2012, they, YouTube was starting to invest in original channels. So basically they wanted to make the platform look more like a premium destination rather than just kind of cat videos. So they were handing out very, very high sums of money to kind of proven media companies to make kind of premium YouTube videos. Uh, and my division had been, commissioned to make two of those channels um and so we had some investment there uh, and also some investment to upload a lot more like you were working on kind of clips of tv shows so within a couple of weeks or maybe a month at most i had launched the official doctor who channel um without ever seen an episode of doctor who so i had to quickly do like a crash course in doctor who luckily i had some very very knowledgeable people around me that could guide me but you know in terms of like my youtube knowledge it was zero so i pretty much learned the buttons uh you know how to upload how to make a playlist all that kind of stuff just learned that in the first couple of weeks and pretty much spent the last seven or eight years mastering that you know, not mastering the buttons to press, but mastering the strategies that really grow organic views. That's great. Yeah. So, you know, there wasn't the the kind of Tim Schmoyers of this world or Daryl Eves at that time. There was no place for someone like me or you. You probably remember. I don't know if you remember that. I think there was real yes. SEO that featured Tim Schmoyer and our, our, our mutual friend, Mark Robertson was the, the pioneer behind that. But apart from that, there just wasn't a huge amount of education. So, um, parallel to me working for the BBC, I, I launched my own website, um, faqtube.tv where I blogged and basically scratched my own itch and thought I'd make a kind of a repository of how to information, um, to help people that were just getting started on YouTube. So how to optimize a playlist, how to optimize titles, this descriptions, thumbnails, that kind of stuff. But really it was just through trial and error because that, as I say, there wasn't that education system in place. There was some basic training from YouTube. I think like you, Carlos, we probably were on the very, very early uh, beta programs for certification. So I was certified in audience growth, digital rights. Uh, and these were the days when you had to go into the YouTube 
um, offices and spend two days in front of a teacher. Really? Yeah, yeah, getting lectured. And then you you took the exam when you got back. Well, we didn't have that in Canada. Oh uh, yeah, we I think we were one of the one of the first. So um bit of a, a trailblazer there. Probably one of the first people to have kind of double certification. Um and yeah, you know, so I've worked on a number of different genres like you cooking, drama, motorsport, natural history, documentary, comedy, and you know, launching more and more channels as time went on, um, commissioning content, commissioning original content. Uh, and, you know, getting up to 30, 40, 50 uploads a week. And just by seeing that sheer amount of data across different niches, I was able to reverse engineer what worked, what didn't work. You know, I'd seen, I'll be the first people to admit I had a number of failures, failed ideas, failed projects, failed clips, um, and learning from those as well as, as to what worked and what, what didn't work. And then sharing that on the blog and, you know, trying to, help people avoid the mistakes that I'd made over the years, uh, finally put that into a book. And yeah, you know, achieved some really, really great results. Took the Top Gear official channel from about 700,000 subs to 3 million in 12 months. At that point, 3 million subs was enough to make you like a top 100 channel. So, you know, we were looking at the the Social Blade rankings and we you know we were a top 100 youtube channel at the time so that was that was pretty epic so we were basically fighting each other back then probably <laughs> yeah because i was looking at that social blade tracking every every couple of days and seeing how we were like oh yes we're top 100 now and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah and this is this these are the days when smosh topped the charts i'm sure you remember and they were they were the first people to kind of top i think 10 million which was pretty amazing yeah and you know Managed to get another couple of gold play buttons in my time there uh, before moving on to another company called Endemole here in the UK. I was their head of audience development, so looking after YouTube and social. And they are a TV production company. They're actually the world's largest independent production company. Um, so they make stuff like MasterChef, Big Brother. You know, they were a formats company, but they also made dramas like um, Peaky Blinders and... Uh, you know, hot off the press is the you know, Black Mirror is uh, an Endemol show. Um, but probably the, the biggest results there were with the Mr. Bean brand, um, pretty widely known across the world. Had been it had been doing pretty well on YouTube. It had um, it had been around for about seven years. Had gone for a number of different people that had looked after it, different companies even. It had been out to agencies and come back. Uh, it was on about 3 million something subscribers. Um, and then I came in, audit, audited everything, did some keyword research, which are really my two strong points, new strategy for the channel. And then before you know it, you know, the growth charts were just absolutely off the scale, like anything I'd seen before. I thought my top gear results would go on my gravestone, but this kind of you know, this was blowing it out of the water and, uh, you know, that channel just a year and a half later is now crossed 10 million subs. Uh, unfortunately I wasn't still there to get the golden, uh, the, the diamond play button. Sorry. But also we launched a couple of spin-off channels that are also past a million subs already, which, you know, is just, uh, defied all of our expectations. <laughs> uh, and also there got to, 
lead the social strategy and I looked after video strategy for the Mr. Bean Facebook page, which is, uh, I'm not sure where it sits now, but at the time it was like top 12 Facebook page in the entire world in terms of likes. Uh, you know, we were taking over Manchester United and Bob Marley. And uh, I think when I left, we'd just taken over Taylor Swift and were hot on the heels of Justin Bieber. So really interesting time there. You know, we were on the early suggested video monetization beta. We were on the ad breaks beta and, you know, making some serious money through ad breaks. Uh, and we, we were early into the watch page beta as well. So we got to test a lot of the new Facebook video features that are a little bit more commonplace today. So in a very privileged position, worked with some great brands, some great people as well on my teams. Um, but like you kind of felt like I had a lot more to offer a lot more people. And so in June of last year, I left to start up my own company where uh, I now consult with independent creators and mainly TV companies and rights holders to exploit um, their kind of TV and movie back catalogs. Um, but also working with a lot of kind of large YouTubers, shall we say, vloggers and um, people like that in all, all different niches, um, helping them to kind of break through the, their ceilings and where they've plateaued or even kind of going in reverse. I come in and um, help them evaluate where they might be leaking some views and, and how they can they can get growing again. And that keeps me very, very busy. One of the things that we don't really talk about and we have both a lot of experience about is the rights issues is the the content claiming that, you know, a lot of people don't really talk about a lot online. Yeah. And I don't know if it's a, you know, let's not talk about it or, you know, just not enough people out there sort of talking about it, or it's just companies that handle it or just, you know, keeping it under their, their hoods. But both you and me have worked a lot in the content ID side of things. And that's a missed opportunity for many, many creators. And, and to this day, like, um, my wife created a video about copyright, uh, and it's like her number one video every month because people are just constantly trying to ask that question about copyright. And that's something that like both you and me have a lot of experience on and, and how that works and how content ID on, on YouTube is a very powerful tool for creators as well as for content owners. Yeah. And I just think there's a lack of awareness that it even exists. You know, I think people just think that people are sitting there clicking away and there are, you know, there are farms of people that are sitting there manually claiming people's content. Um, but people just don't realize the size and the scale of the content ID system and how it is generating hundreds of millions of dollars and pounds and Canadian dollars <laughs> for rights owners, independent creators, and people just don't realize there's a whole industry out there that caters for it. Yep. There are companies springing up that only deal with content ID. Yep. There are agencies that will help you with your content ID for a cut or a fee. And there are people out there that are incorrectly claiming people's yep. content to be trolls and to make money from things that they shouldn't be making money out of. Um, so yeah, a hundred percent, we will have to have a dedicated episode to talk about content ID and the CMS and the more kind of technical side of things. Um, but you're right. People just don't talk about it. I'm not sure why, because it's not, 
a huge secret, but maybe it's just that, you know, podcasts out there and articles, mm-hmm. I think they're a lot more creator centric. And I think this is what something that we're trying to change with this podcast is to open up the doors, you know, and peek behind the kimono of what goes on on the industry side of things. What are big, big companies doing on YouTube that maybe the, the smaller guy is missing out on or is not even aware of? Yeah, I mean, it's it's something that, you know, to this day, I still work with Content ID. I do it for a bunch of companies. And uh, every, I would say every couple of months, I always get a producer coming to me. And it's like, I want to understand YouTube. I have a library of content. There's a bunch of people pirating my stuff. How do I handle that? That is actually a perfect segue. So if you have people that are coming to you saying they've got big libraries of content, you can send them my way, Carlos, because my my second half of my business is, well, firstly, I can help them to monetize better. But also the second half of my business is that I'm now trying to put my money where my mouth is. So, you know, I rate myself very, very highly uh, without sounding big headed as one of the world's leading organic YouTube growth experts. But I don't really have a YouTube channel and I'll I'll talk more about my YouTube channel in a second. But what I really want to focus on this year is growing my own small network of YouTube channels. And to be honest, that is so that I can create a more reliable stream of income and lessen the amount of consulting work that I need to do. And the consulting work is interesting. I love working with creators but it's a straight trade of my time for dollars. And that's not something that for me is the vision for my business. So what I'm looking to do this year is to grow a network of my own YouTube channels. Uh, and that's not going to be me in front of camera. And that's not going to be me filming other people. Uh, it's going to be me trying to acquire content from people that you're speaking about. They've got libraries of content that they're not doing anything with. Uh, I'm going to be approaching companies like that, uh, trying to get the rights to that and then putting them on my own network of YouTube channels. Yeah, I think we can have like a, dis- a discussion about how YouTube networks have uh, died over the last years and why and why I think your idea is a good idea. But it's it's one of those ideas that's not, you know, it's not scalable at the way people had hoped it was it would be scalable, but it's still a valuable service. So it's, it's one of those great discussions that I'm hoping we can have in, in the future for our podcast. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping there'll be lots to report on. It's, <laughs> it's not, it's not an easy, uh, thing to get off the ground. Cause I'm dealing with very large corporations who, move slowly at the best of times, but also, you know, I'm a kind of upstart. I like to see myself as an upstart more than a startup. Um, and you know, they need to trust me. They need to know who I am. Uh, and also, you know, there's going to be some financial investment that I need to put up, but you know, this is something that I really want to talk about going forward and you'll be able to follow the progress of both my business endeavors on YouTube and also yours too, Carlos on the podcast. So, uh, Make sure you subscribe, guys. <laughs> All right. Tom, I think this is a good sort of, uh, you know, time for us to just, you know, end the podcast. This is our first podcast. We wanted to introduce you to us, where we're coming from, what we want to share with you. We're going to be here and creating uh, new shows every couple of weeks on everything that surrounds the business of, of YouTube and creating content on YouTube to making money on YouTube and beyond YouTube. So 
Thanks for tuning in. If you are tuned in, please subscribe to the podcast, give it a review, even though it's the first episode. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you soon. Tom, any last words before we tune out? Yeah, from me, Carlos, that was an absolute pleasure to talk to you. So, so excited to be bringing this podcast to you, uh, the listeners, that is. I think that we're bringing a fresh angle on this. I really don't think there's another podcast like it where you're going to really, you know, we're going to lift the lid on the YouTube industry. And it doesn't matter if you're not part of that industry, because there will be lots of actionable takeaways that you can use to grow your channel, grow your business. Like Carlos says, make sure you're subscribed in whatever podcast app that you use. Carlos, if um, we want to learn more about you, where can we go? You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on Twitter. Just search Carlos Pacheco. You know, there are not many of us out there. There are a few actually, but you know, um, the one that actually says YouTube strategist on it <laughs> will be me. But yeah, that's that's the best way. Twitter's great for me. And uh, we're going to be setting up a Video Insiders podcast website and email soon. So for the time being, that's where you can find me and if you want to find more about me or the services that i provide you can visit my website at www.channelfuel.co that's fuel as in rocket fuel and that you can find a bit more about me my history and also the services that i provide to businesses and independent creators all of the good stuff and links we've mentioned in today's show will be available in the show notes once they're built and you can find that over at www.videoinsiders.fm forward slash episode one awesome tom thanks a lot i'm looking forward to the next episode it's been a pleasure and i'll speak to you in a couple of weeks have a good one bye guys bye